to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, an old friend, Mr. Zach Harper from CBS Sports. Zach, what's going on? I'm just bouncing around, man. Just one city to the next, uh, waiting for the next basketball to happen. You're waiting for something big to happen somewhere, and then you just pop up there? Yeah, and then I just go there, and then, you know, I, I feel a lot like, uh, who's the, I guess I'm like the Luke Ridenour of basketball writing now. Like, I just get shipped place after place. There it is. I was thinking more like the herpes of, of basketball, but that you, you, also works. <laughs> can't get rid of me. You just keep popping up everywhere you go. It's like, wait, I didn't need you here. Wait, yeah, yeah, you're here. Spread. Awesome. So you've uh, you're in Utah now. You were in Miami. You were before that. You were in Minnesota. You're in Sacramento. Before that, you're all over the globe. Everywhere. How, how is the NBA lifestyle? It's it just doesn't it doesn't stop like that whole basketball never stops thing like it just it's true they just keep going they just keep playing games and so it's all there's always something isn't that strange how they they continue to play 82 games each and every season like it's like it's a business model or something it, it, it might make be any sense. it might be one of their business models to keep playing games all the time well in Sacramento you know we get blessed with the they keep playing games and causing trouble model which uh continued this last week from the outside looking in uh, we'll start with this and we'll get on to the minnesota timberwolves in just a little while but what is an outside observer looking at the sacramento kings and seeing this rondo situation and the demarcus and uh, rajan situation earlier in the season and carl and what what is that outsider view looking like right now yeah, it's funny because the the national media I know and is like Sacramento fans are not a big fan of the national media, right? Because it seems like we're we're picking on the uh, on the Kings constantly. I think for outsider looking in, you see good things like Demarcus Cousins is a monster, like he's just one of the most impactful players on the court, um, no matter who's playing. And so you want to see players like that get built around properly, and, and when it feels like. Thing, you know, opportunities are being wasted, years are being wasted, then you, you start wanting to pick apart why. And so I think that now, now that there's, there should be more stability in place, you just want to see stability so we can see, like, are the things we see with DeMarcus Cousins the right things, right? Like, are, are, are we right about, like, how good he can be and how good he can make a team? Mm-hmm. And you just want to see that continuity built. I, I'd like to think that we're eventually going to get to that point with the Kings because it's a great fan base, and it's a fan base that should, you know, be allowed a, a good season, you know, more than once every ten years now. Yeah, just every once in a while. Just every once in a while, I'll be nice. Just everyone, just by accident, you would fall into an eight seed or something. Yeah, you know what? This is my sixth season since uh, joining you years ago, uh, covering the NBA, and the best I've got to see. I, I don't even need to give win totals. I just give loss totals. The best I've seen is fifty-three losses. Yeah, that's the best. That's rough. Everything else has been worse than that. So, yeah, it, it's been brutal. Now, what about this Rondo situation? You have to have an opinion on the Rondo yeah, situation. Yeah, absolutely. It's not good. Um, you know, it, it's it's disheartening. It's not even like, oh, he was playing so well, the reclamation project was happening. Like, forget all that. Like, it just, it looks so bad. And the the initial quote-unquote apo- apology just wasn't an apology. Like, it doesn't mean he didn't apologize to Bill Kennedy. We, like, we don't know what happened behind the scenes with that. Um, or at least outside looking in, we don't know. But the original apology was not an apology. It was just an excuse. 
Like it was hiding from it. And the fact that he didn't talk to the media, like it just looked bad. And then it makes the real apology that gets issued look like, you know, he had to do that. It looks forced. Yeah. Yeah. It looks forced. Like no matter whether you want to believe it or not, like that's how it looks. And it's just not a good situation because of, you know, everything that happens and where we are as a society with this stuff. Like you just would like to be further along than, than where it appears we, we end up being when stuff like this happens. And, you know, I, I hope we don't have to go through something like that again because it's, it's wrong. It's hate speech and all that stuff. And, and whether he truly meant it or not, or whether he knew, like, that doesn't matter. Like, it, well, it matters, but it does, like, we should just be beyond that stuff. And so it's, it just sucks when stuff like this pops up, whether it's him, whether it's joking Noah years ago, whether it's Kobe Bryant years ago, like, that's just, we should be past that. I would agree with you 100%. And if it makes you feel any worse about the subject, he uh, refused to talk, talk to the media yesterday as well. Um, he's just he's gonna take it out on the road, and you know, he'll uh, he'll take ex- extra long showers and hope that uh, the visiting media and well, the regular media and every other city that he goes into on this four game trip doesn't wait him out and, and ask the questions. I, I assume I assume that's what he's his plan is. And, that, and that's not how that works. Like it's just that, like the longer he goes without talking about it, the more people are gonna want to talk about it. Well, yeah, and, and it, you know what it brings us to? It, it's a good segue into uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves because you and I both know that Jerry Zagoda will wait. He will wait him out. <laughs> oh, Jerry will wait all night long. And that's where he's going. He's going to he's going to go play the T-Wolves, and maybe, just maybe, we hear something out of this, but uh, Jerry is an aggressive, aggressive beat writer, and I can't imagine that he's not going to go do his job in the Minnesota Timberwolves locker room and then make his way over to the king's locker room and just wait for it yeah and i I, like just one last note on that is um i don't want to i don't want to promote another podcast but tim bontemps has a pong has a podcast for the washington post and he had kevin arnovitz on and kevin arnovitz made a great point of like it it like at a certain point the punishment matters but really like we should be talking about why does this still keep happening and that's really what we should take out of it not like oh he got a one game suspension should have been three it it should be like why like why does this stuff happen yeah, I agree, and I, I actually did listen to the podcast. It was uh, very good stuff. Kevin is such a uh, a beacon for the uh, the gay community in the sports world, and I thought it was a great conversation. I even, you know, listening to it where he just comes out and just says the words. I'm not comfortable saying those words. Right, I'm not yeah. comfortable <laughs> putting them out there. Um, but for him to just come out and just say, look, it, it's – it's not okay. Not only that, but I mean, his perspective is so unique in this entire discussion that I do think it's it should be required listening for most basketball fans, just because it's such a it's such a hot button topic, and it's something that we shouldn't be dealing with. We should not have to deal with this. This isn't basketball, and for Rondo to bring it into our sort of our world, it just for me, it's really unacceptable. It's really embarrassing. It's really disappointing, yeah. and his reaction has been even worse. And it's yeah, it made just compounds. Me it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, and and like this team's what like nine and eight with with cousins in the lineup. So like that's what we should be talking about. Yeah, they're one game out of the playoffs. Yeah, playoffs. <laughs> playoffs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all right, so let's get to let's get to some basketball talk. Uh, you are a Minnesota Timberwolves expert. That's why I'm bringing you in. The Kings start their four-game road trip with the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday evening. And they're an interesting team. And I don't know. They're in a major downturn right now. 
The last time Kings fans saw the Timberwolves, they were riding high. They were above 500. They smacked the Kings around on their home floor. But since then, they've lost eight of nine, and the one win is against the Lakers. What is going on with that team? Well, I think part of the problem is they started out really well. And like I'd like to remind you know Timberwolves fans who are very upset right now, and they have some reasons to be upset, but this I think the team's over-under going into the season was 26 and a half. Yeah. And, and it's like, all right, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, the you know, you can well overperform that or you could or you can underperform with that number, whatever. But like that's kind of where this team was supposed to be. And they play three 20 year olds, Zach Levine, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns. Some of those guys are very good right now. Some of those guys will be very good in the future. But three 20 year olds is not conducive to consistency in the NBA. Like that's just very hard to win that way. And they have holes, like they have real limitations. And so I think you saw, you know, maybe some of that was the emotion of uh, the passing of Flip Saunders at the beginning of the season. And, and that that helped fuel them a little bit. I don't I don't want to, you know, assume too much there, but maybe that maybe that plays into effect and they're able to come out and and be a little bit better. But then it's also like, you know, the league, like after a month, teams have scouted you pretty decently. And so they were good the first month. And then since then, like there's a better scouting report on what they do and what they do is pretty basic. And so if you can match their athleticism or at least not be overwhelmed by their athleticism, uh, you can you can figure them out pretty easily. And that I think that's what's happening. You know, it seems to me, looking at their roster, that it's a very strange, very strange mixture of ages. It's either yeah. the veterans, they aren't just like regular veterans. They're like really, really old veterans. I mean, we're talking, they have two 39-year-old players, which is nuts. Uh, and then what Tayshawn Prince is actually starting and, and he's 35 and Kevin Martin's playing minutes or he has been playing minutes and he's 32. And then you have this massive youth movement and it doesn't seem like it's working at all. Is there a point where you just throw all caution to the wind, scrap this and just go youth and say, you know, Garnett, you are now an assistant coach. Andre Miller, you're now an assistant coach. Basically, de facto assistants. You're not going to play, and we're just going youth. Yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe that's it. I mean, going into the season, Sam Mitchell and, and the organization, you know, after the the pass and the flip, like we're talking about, like this is a year for development. I mean, you really like. I know the Timberwolves haven't made the playoffs in over a decade, but this is year two of the rebuild of the latest rebuild. And so, like, being a very good team in, or even, like, a decent team in year two of a rebuild is it's hard. And you get that weird mixture. And so um, there's a, you know, there's a philosophy which I buy into of you make the young guys earn minutes. And I, look, I actually look back to, like, my first season covering the Kings uh, for Cowbell Kingdom was um, I think there was a situation where Omri Caspi wasn't going to start over Francisco Garcia to begin the year, something, oh, yeah. something along those lines. Uh-huh. And people, and like Kings fans were complaining. And I had someone explain to me, I'm like, look, if Omri Caspi can't prove that he should start over Francisco Garcia, who's a decent role player, like, well, then maybe he shouldn't start. And that's not, that's not always how it works, but I do believe in young guys earning minutes and proving it. Like some guys should be given minutes. Some guys should have to earn minutes. I think the Wolves are trying to figure that out. Okay. So you have two of the most talented young players in the league. It's, it's really incredible what they've been able to do there landing both Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. I guess my first question is, uh, first, Carl Anthony Towns looks like he's so much further along than you would have expected. And Wiggins is really good, but is he going to be great? And is it possible that Carl Anthony Towns is going to be a much better player than Wiggins? Because that's 
what it looks like to me from the I think, outside. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a fair, those are fair questions, and I I think that regardless of how good either of them are, Carl Anthony Towns probably ends up being the more important player, yeah, long term because of the position he plays and because of you know the defense he can bring. Uh, you know, he's unreal. Like he he is. I like I really have to nitpick with him to find faults in what he does. Like he has a couple of dumb rookie moments every once in a while. Um, he maybe holds the ball a little bit too long on offense, but like he's just crazy skilled and has great composure already. Um, I think I I haven't updated the numbers, but in terms of like points per possession, points per one hundred possession as a rookie, the numbers he's putting up only David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, and Hakeem Olajuwon have done. Wow. Like, I mean, he's, you know, and granted, these are like per possession, so there's a lot of noise that goes into that stuff at times. But, like, that's the kind of production he's having on a per possession basis. And it's not, it's not like, inflated by any means. Like, he's that good. Like, I don't know that he's going to be as good as those guys, but he's that, he's that good as a rookie. So, like, he's just incredible. And then Andrew Wiggins, he, he's their go-to scorer, and he's a very good defender, although he's been a little iffy on defense the last week or so. Um but yeah, you wonder like, is the handle going to be there? Is he going to be able to make an impact throughout an entire like thirty-six minute stint or something like that? Like those are real questions, and I I think the answer is yes that he is going to be that guy. But it's fair to question it. Okay, and Wiggins. I mean, is Wiggins going to be a star? Is he going to be a superstar? Because I mean, that's how he was touted from a very young age. It doesn't look to me like he's going to reach that. I mean, I think he's going to be a little bit better than what Rudy Gay is. But is he going to be a great? Yeah, I, I I still think like he can be like another Paul George. I think okay. he's that I think he's that good as a two way player. But with that said, like he does need to improve his jumper um, quite a bit. He's also they're in a weird situation with how they how they run their offense. Of like there isn't just a that's your shot, go take it, which I think is very important for for any team culture of like you if that like if it's an open shot, it's a good shot. And the Sam Mitchell and the Wolves don't necessarily operate that way right now so i think that there's some hesitation there and with the hesitation stunts a little bit of the development in feeling comfortable with that jumper um so i'd like to see you know one how long is sam mitchell going to be the coach and two if they if and when they do replace him who do they bring in and how does that affect andrew wiggins growth okay so it's a team in flux i mean clearly they were thrown into something that they did not expect right. uh, at least it doesn't seem like they expected it um, it, just a really, really sad situation with Flip Saunders. How is the organization recovering from that? Because that was such a huge blow to this team. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like that's you know, it's something that came on fairly quick, and I think they had, you know, they definitely had an idea, long, you know, much before the public did, but uh, because it was kept so private. But you know, that's still a that's still a weird realization to come to, right? Like for Kevin. Gar- Burnett, for for even someone like Carl Anthony Towns, like that's a tough thing to come to grips with and to learn how to how to work through on any level of a profession. When you're just you know these guys are like I know we look at them as assets or numbers or video games or whatever. Like they are human beings, so that's a tough thing to deal with. I think the I think the organization has really bonded together and they've they've done well with with processing that. Um, but it's also easier when you can do that as winners, right? So like if they keep losing kind of the way they are is it easy to stay together like that without that real organizational leader that flip was that's where i think we get into you know questioning how how well they're able to handle it for a whole season okay so uh we've got one more player to talk about that i'd like to kind of get your uh, you talked about uh 
about Wiggins not really being a a developed. He doesn't have a developed jump shot. Yeah. What is going on with Ricky Rubio? Is he is he just what he is? That's it, and that we're not gonna. He's never gonna figure out actually how to shoot a basketball. Maybe. I mean, he did some great work over the last year and a half with Mike Penberthy, who was their shooting coach, and now he's like kind of an independent contractor with like he works out Joakim Noah, he works out Rubio, he works out like you know ten or twelve NBA guys, and he's a great shooting coach. And when you get into you know, warm-ups when you get into practice and all that stuff, like Rubio does shoot really well. But there's something where the form changes or the confidence changes or whatever. And a big part of the problem is like he can't finish at the rim. Like you can deal with him being a bad jump shooter uh, because he gets to the free throw line a, a fair amount and he's a good free throw shooter, which makes the bad shooting even, <laughs> even yeah, more confusing. Yeah, it does. But, the, but it's the fact like you can't combine that with not being able to finish at the rim. So if he could finish at the rim then maybe you're looking at more like a rondo type score right because rondo can finish he's not a free throw shooter but he can finish and then he feels a little more comfortable as he finishes to Mm -hmm. to hit jumpers well rubio never has that fallback it's either get to the free throw line or pass the ball and so he's a dynamic defender one of the best defensive point guards in the league very good rebounder very good instincts he can you know he's running a very basic offense but he does a good job with it for the most part um but yeah like if he can't like maybe he's like an like an average starting point guard at this point because of the flaws with the with the positives. And so, you know, how much is that worth to a team on a nightly basis? And how much is that worth in a, you know, when you're in crunch time in a league full of dynamic point guards? Like if he can't figure one of those out and get that consistency and make the work with Mike Mike Penberthy consistently translate to the game, then like, yeah, he's never gonna be a top ten point guard. He may he may struggle to be, remain like an average starting point guard. Yeah, that's it's it's really interesting. I mean, he shoots thirty four percent from the field, uh, and his three point shooting is twenty six point five percent. He he's just not a shooter. And you bring up Rondo, and Rondo has an ability to to take you off the dribble and to actually score at the rim in a bunch of different ways. You don't expect the dunk which he had the other night, but he he's got a lot of craftiness to him at the rim, and so he ends up shooting forty five plus, and that's just a huge difference between these two. But on a young team that needs someone to build confidence around, you know, for these young players. Maybe he's the right guy because, you know, he's a huge assist man. He he makes you stay alert a lot like Rondo does in the way that he's ready to pass at all times. So so maybe he's bringing some intangibles to the court that, you know, far outweigh his inability to score and to shoot. Yeah, and he's he's a very good leader too. I mean, that's one that's one thing that's hard to, you know, you can't measure that with stats necessarily, but he's... He's a very good leader on the court. Um, and with him, too, you know, it's uh, part of this has been the, the team makeup over the years, but he is always the difference between them being like a joke of a team and being competitive. When he's on the court, they're generally competitive, no matter what the roster makeup is. And when he's not on the court, um, they, they usually get blown out. And so, like, there is something, but you can also look at that as like, is that just mean like they need an average point guard to not get blown out every night? You know, that's a that's a pretty valid question. Okay. All right. So I don't want to keep you all night. I know you're a busy man. You got so much NBA coverage that is crazy. But Kevin Martin uh, allegedly has been put on the block. Is there anything left in Kevin Martin? Because I, there's already rumors that the Sacramento Kings are interested. I don't really buy that because they have Bellinelli. They have Ben McLemore. I don't think swapping, you know— Macklemore for for Kevin Martin makes you any better but is he done because his shooting percentages kind of say that he's done uh, I think it's I think it's a problem with the role 
I think if you give him a consistent role, which he has not had this year, I think the shooting comes back because he can still draw fouls. He's still a good catch-and-shoot guy. He's still, you know, a guy who can stretch the floor. Like, I think he's better than what he's shown. But, yeah, like, if you, like it doesn't make any sense to me that he would go back to the Kings unless they were desperate for a reunion. And, like, I wouldn't swap out. You know, like, you're certainly not swapping out Bellinelli. Like, I wouldn't swap out the potential of Macklemore um, because I don't even know that he can – I don't even know that Kevin Martin would bring more to – the Kings on a nightly basis than the Macklemore can potentially do. All right. So Kings face off against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Friday night. Who, who are you taking? I'm taking the Kings because the Wolves are really bad at home for whatever reason. They've been great on the road this year, uh, but they can't figure out at home. And, you know, some of that is probably the fans aren't very happy with this latest swoon. So that may add more angst to the building. I think the Kings get a road victory. All right. There it is. Zach Harper, CBS Sports. Hey, thanks for joining me, man. Anytime. Thank you. Welcome back to the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, for this second segment, Mr. Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports. What's up, baby? Hey, that's some good energy over there. And and may I say, never a dull moment in Sacramento. Never, ever, ever, ever a dull moment. You know, you can't, su- you can't surprise me. You know when Drake is so overshadowed in his second trip to Sacramento <laughs> that it's almost like you know what I didn't even mention right. it in my recap. Drake was such an afterthought. I uh, forgot you know, about Drake. You know it's real. You know Ti oh. was in town earlier in the week, and I don't. To be honest with all of you listeners, I don't even know who Ti is. But I, my wife tried to sing me some song. I, I'm not sure, uh, but you know Drake. And again, I I don't think I've ever listened to Drake's music at all. Um, but he was also in town and, and it just got snowballed. It was as, it was just like a footnote in a very eventful, crazy, wild couple of days. That game was as crazy of a game as I've witnessed in the month of December in a while. I mean, the, the, the Warriors and Celtics was a great game. That, that was fun. This game was just crazy. It was just weird. It was almost not even worth tweeting about. It was, it was just something you had to sit and watch. You did have to sit and watch it. I mean, realistically, the Kings should have uh, hammered the Houston Rockets by 40. If they didn't turn the ball over 29 times as a team, I think that would have been a monstrous, ugly, ugly blowout. But that wouldn't have fit the game's motif. (laughs) That game needed circus Benny Hill music, a couple sad trombones. I don't know what else. That well, was, it was crazy. I, I love the Photoshop. We'll start with the one of the weird incidents of the game against the Houston Rockets. We've got a lot to get to here, people. We're going to get to it all. We'll we'll try to at least get to it all. But let's start with one of the stranger moments in that game, and that is Jason Terry, uh, you know, feebly attempting to play defense on Ben McLemore, who has a highlight reel dunk that completely got washed away in the madness of the night. His dunk was absolutely, I mean, some next to Sam Amick and Amick looks at me like with a, Ooh, <laughs> and I'm like, really? Yeah. So, and then it, it's so quickly you snap out of it because Ch- Jason Terry, like he runs into the first row and to get back into the play, he puts his hand in the chest of Andrew Rogers, who is DeMarcus Cousins' manager. Of course, Andrew Rogers has been around Sacramento for as long as DeMarcus has. He's, he came out to Sacramento with DeMarcus. He was a, I don't know, what was he, a trainer at, uh, or he was he was on staff at the University of Kentucky with DeMarcus. People don't 
may not remember, but when DeMarcus Cousins came into the league, he didn't even have his driver's license. So Andrew Rogers has been with him the whole time, driving him uh, for a long time, managing his affairs. I, I assume he like helps pay bills and do all that stuff. But anyway, uh, what did you see from that incident? Because, man, Aaron, it's weird. I saw, um, when I tweeted this, I saw, I, I don't want to get too crazy with Terry because he, I, I mean, he could have just wanted to get back into play. Um, or maybe he knew Andrew Rogers somehow, or maybe he just thought it was a Kings fan and felt like an extra shove was necessary and, and people didn't pick up on it. And yeah, it was, it was a crazy game in the middle of a busy night. And, um, a lot of headlines I think went out that, you know, we're, we're, we're just taking advantage of it being DeMarcus Cousins manager. A lot of sites, including our own, put out one that was like, you know, fan slaps DeMarcus Cousins or, or probably DeMarcus Cousins' manager slaps Jason Terry. And, yeah, he did do that. I just he thought it was kind of a... away his hand. I, you know, it, I saw the just, slap thing, and I'm like, was it It really was much to do about nothing. And I get it from the league's perspective. If you're going to, you know, err on one side, you're going to toss the fan. But, heck, if I pay as much as he probably paid for those tickets, I would not be a happy customer. Uh, I think the refs did a pretty bad job there because... At one point in time, I got numerous people tweeting at me. They thought Andrew Rogers returned, and then they threw out the other guy. And so oh, I think yeah. they thought they threw out the same guy. You probably know better being on the court. They threw out both the guys sitting right there. And I'll say this. Uh, first of all, Jason Terry likely knew exactly who Andrew Rogers was. Uh, during that game, there was a lot of conversation between Dwight Howard and uh, DeMarcus Cousins. And Dwight Howard, you know, all he does is laugh and smile the whole game. Uh, So while he's actually, he's the reverse of DeMarcus Cousins. While DeMarcus looks angry the entire game, um, I'm not sure how to describe what, uh, it's not appropriate for the airwaves, the grin he has on his face the whole time, Dwight Howard. Um, But Andrew Rogers was actually, they were both talking to Andrew because he was sitting right on the baseline, right near where they're shooting free throws. And basically, they were going through him as like, you know, tell DeMarcus I said this. And then, you know, like while they're standing right next to each other. Um, So there was plenty of conversation. Andrew was actually part of the festivities, I believe, in that game. And I'm also going to correct you. I don't think Andrew ever pays for a ticket at all. (laughs) But um, just a weird situation. Uh, Jason and Terry should know better. Uh, I don't know. What's he been in the league like, like 72 years? And... And Kings fans hate Jason Terry because he was traded to the Kings and then refused to play for the Kings. And then um, when the Kings were nice enough to pay him to go away and to give him his money and just let him walk away, uh, he went on a Dallas radio station and trashed Sacramento. So uh, Kings fans really aren't that that cool with him anyways. So I, I just think it made for a fun evening. Yeah, made for an easy headline. It made for a fun evening, though. I think if anybody took it as far as to say, oh, look at Sacramento again, you know, there's definitely other other ways to target that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you if anyone uh, saw the Photoshop of Andrew Rogers face on uh, Rudy Gay for his huge dunk over Beverly, that was precious. That was a, a whoever did that Photoshop hat tip to you. That was incredible. Uh, I don't have time to look it up or I would. Um, and actually I, I was able to show DeMarcus that in the locker room and he was in tears, you know, he's, Oh, my boy's just trying to get famous. So. There were several, um, great pictures out of that game. Uh, our guy, Kamani. Oh yeah. His, Kamani did Drake an photos. incredible. Oh yeah. The Drake photos were awesome. 
and because there were so many spectacular plays in that game, it really just was a it was a great game to watch. I think <laughs> it was fun. It was sloppy. It was wild, um, and it completely masked the giant elephant in the room, and that is that Rajon Rondo Rajon Rondo was not in attendance. Um, yeah, that's an ugly thing, and I hate talking about this, but it's something that I mean we can't ignore. And to be honest with you, I. You know, I don't want to ignore it. I actually do want to say a couple of things on it. But what are your thoughts, Aaron, right off the bat on Rondo, his comments to Bill Kennedy, his ridiculously silly plagiaristic tweets uh, after um, his suspension, followed by his true apology, which was almost like a... uh, a backhanded, you know, oh, how dare you guys misinterpret my earlier apology, uh, apology. So what are your thoughts on the Rondo situation? I mean, there's not a lot of new ground to cover that hasn't already been covered. I mean, it's obviously incredibly stupid. And um, I I just think that, I I don't know who's advising him, but I mean, obviously they got to be let go. I mean, that's like one of the worst responses to a situation I've seen in a while. It's a distraction that the Kings don't need. Um, you know, you just, you know, you just hope in these situations that he can move forward in a positive way. I mean, that's really, I think at this point in time, everybody's, you know, eviscerated him and rightfully so, uh, at, at this point, you just got to look to the future and see, is he actually going to take the, the right path going forward? I'll say this right off the bat. The one thing I do want to make sure is very, very clear. Um, Rondo followed his own script. He did not follow the advice of the Sacramento Kings uh, or their PR or their media relations, whoever it is that was trying to make this situation as palatable as possible. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he really hung them out to dry. Yeah, he refused. And not only that, but he hung out George Carl and he hung out Vlade Divac and Divac, excuse me. Uh, and he also uh, left. Vivek Ranadive just sitting there holding the bag, forcing them to make statements. Uh, kudos to specifically Vivek. Vivek, his statement was so perfect for that, for the situation. Um, not only did he apologize for the Kings franchise, and was he very, very he used very harsh words uh, about you know the words that were said by by Rondo to Bill Kennedy, but he also publicly apologized to Bill Kennedy, which was the first time we'd actually heard that from anyone. Um, just not a good look at all for the Sacramento Kings. And the worst part, Aaron, for me, was to have Rondo stand in 15, 20 feet away, shooting free throws, smiling, laughing, having a good time, while Carl and Divots were uh, were forced to stand in front of cameras and answer for his pathetic actions. Yeah, it's like he didn't understand the gravity of the situation at all. And and I noticed that from afar was, you know, what is this guy doing? You know, if he's going to hide from the media, what is he even doing in the building? You know, go go hide. <laughs> well, he wasn't in the building initially, and then he came out. He came back out. And, and I'll even add this, too. Uh, as frustrated as I was the first day that we didn't get him, um, I had harsh words the next day as well. Uh, yesterday, I, on Wednesday, I was at, at, at practice, and it was like me, a Kings.com guy, um a writer from uh, NBA Italy, 
and uh, who is a very Ricardo is a very nice guy. He's here in town at all times to cover Marco Bellinelli. Uh, and Channel 3 had a cameraman and no one else. So it was really just the four of us, and really it was just me asking questions. And it was a perfect opportunity for Rondo to come over and actually give media time and kind of answer some quick questions without it being a huge scrum. And once again, he refused to talk to the media. And for me, the real frustrating thing about that is that he can refuse us and he can hide from us, especially when, you know, the way the schedule worked out, he got suspended for a game on Tuesday and then, you know, the Kings play on Friday on the road. He will be forced to talk on the road. There, There's no way, you know, beat writers can wait him out and just, you know, and wait until he, he takes his hour-long shower and gets his massage and finally comes out well past everyone's deadline. If they want to wait for him, he'll be there. And it's a situation where now he's going to have to answer, but it won't be the friendly confines of his own home court where he can actually talk to people who write about him on a daily basis and have shown him respect. And so for me, that was a frustrating piece. Yeah, and this is what you get when you go full Rondo. You know, you've got this kind of, um, you know, the quirky selfishness that has characterized his game and frankly characterizes his on-court game as well. It's a... um, it's a his way or no way uh, proposition. And in this case in time, I mean, if you're going to be the leader of a team, and we've agreed on this podcast many times that he is, you have to recognize where your team is at. I mean, this team needed another controversy. Like, they needed five holes in the head. Yeah. You know? And so where, where are you at in terms of your teammates? And, you know, they all tweeted out their support of him, and, and they're going to say that, but... I mean, it's really ridiculous when you're trying to build a playoff contender and then you have that distraction and you have a guy that's not going to step up and do the right things. So it, it to, to have that as the backdrop and then you had this ridiculous game where still everything's so chaotic for the Kings. I didn't think they played even remotely well in that game. <laughs> not even remotely well. They played and all right defensively. I... I don't even know what you call that game. It was so hard to analyze. It's one of those games if you're doing tape and you're you know, doing it for somebody that, that's going to review it, you, you almost say, hey, it's not even worth your time to watch this game. It really isn't because there's too many outliers. Not In most NBA games, you're not going to get uh, YMCA-level defense where guys are just jogging back and forth. You're not going to get the ball flung up and down the court. It's <laughs> like... I mean, they've they've almost built their entire offense around flinging the ball football style in in these kind of jump ball, uh, three flies up style passes. It, it's ridiculous. It's really, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But um, you know, from Rondo's perspective, if you're going to be the leader of this team, act like the leader of the team, or kind of what I had said in the beginning of the year is, I think a great way to harness Rondo and get the best out of him is to put him in that secondary role so he doesn't get the car keys. And, and you know, maybe some of the key guys on the team want him to have the car keys, but I, I felt kind of like that was a good way, a good check and balance for George Carl to maintain some semblance of control over the team was to, to diminish Rondo's role just a little bit. Well, I think you said something in that, uh, in that statement there that really stuck out to me, and you said quirky selfishness. And I believe that that really does capture um, Rondo as best as you can, a quirky selfishness. 
and he is uh, very selfish on the court, but it's but it's in a giving way, and and I think that's kind of strange. But he does what he does, and he, you know, I, it's hard to wrap your head around. And then when you factor in these big statistical numbers, that it is, it, it, he's he's one of the hardest players to. And this is not just my thoughts. I've seen guys, you know, that I respect out there um, on the eye test side of things, and even on the analytical side of things. I think he drives the analytical guys batty, but nobody knows where to put him. Like, if you're telling me he's an all-star, I'm telling you you're crazy. I don't think he's even had, you know, that great of a year in relation to how well he can play. Um, but that's kind of where, I, I mean, you see guys, uh, Basketball Breakdown, th- you know, his website had a piece where they thought Rondo should be an all-star. And it's like, well, hey, wait a second. You got like probably 10 guards at least in front of him in the West that, you know, make that theory a little rough. But Coach are, Nick. Coach Nick, are you in? It, love Coach Nick. Yeah, he was uh, actually just, in town the other day. It's just really hard to assess him because it's either great or it's terrible. It's never in between. Yeah. I, I okay. So I, I just want to like let's let's move on from the Rondo topic. Before we do, I, I do want to say this. I I'm embarrassed as someone who has to cover this team that this is something that we had to cover this week. I, there's no place in sports for what Rondo said. Uh, Whether he knew it or not was a big question initially. I don't think it should be a question to anyone now. Uh, It's it's very clear that Rondo, if he didn't know, he's like one of the three people in the NBA who didn't know. It's, It's that like cut and dry people. It is that cut and dry. Everyone, everyone knew that Bill Kennedy was gay. Um, and so don't, don't try to like make that as part of the equation, take that out of the equation. It it is what it is. So I I think that we have to move forward from this. I think the suspension, the one game suspension is, is absolutely perfect. And people will look at me and say, how could you say that's perfect? And I'll say it's perfect because the NBA hasn't set up anything to do more than that. And so you can't jump, you know, this isn't a... Ray Rice situation, which I've heard people say this isn't, you know, uh, even a Adrian Peterson or or Greg Hardy situation. This isn't one of those situations where it's going to set a precedence. It will. The the new the new rules that will I'm sure be discussed with the NBA over the next couple of weeks and then reinstituted is this will probably be a five game suspension or it might be an eight game suspension, something of that nature. If you do this again. But the precedence has been set, and I'll say this too. Rondo, at the end of the day, he can hide from it. He can do whatever he, he's going to do because that's that's who he is, and that's the way he's reacted to this situation. He just cost himself so much money that it's ridiculous. If he was looking at – I mean, I thought he was up to probably – about two weeks ago, I thought he was up to probably a four-year $60 million deal. Uh, and the new CBA is going crazy. He's not getting max money. I mean, that's just crazy talk. I had started to believe he was pushing closer to a four-year, like $72 million deal, maybe a little bit more than that. I think he cost himself between 10 and $15 million on his next contract. That could be a fourth year that he cost himself. It could be a 3 to $4 million a year. Uh, value that he cost himself. All I'm saying is that he proved 
exactly what everyone has always said about him in that on that one night. And he's going to have a tough time recovering from that. Again, he is always going to be known as that guy. And I say that because as soon as this happened, Kobe Bryant pops right into your head and Joe Kim Noah pop right into your head. You automatically remember the last time this happened. And now Rondo took it a step further. He's now the guy who not only said it, he said it to a gay man on the court and it appears he meant it. And that's it. I'm done with this. If you if you want to say anything else on it, go for it. But I'm done with the Rondo situation from here on out. Yeah, just really disappointing. That's all. Disappointing. All right, so let's get back to the actual basketball at hand. The Kings somehow are on a three-game win streak. And as we record this on Thursday, uh, the Sacramento Kings are one game out of the Western Conference playoff picture, a game and a half out of number seven. They're playing much better. I mean, they got a win without Rondo, which I think a lot of people did not think would be possible. But what are your thoughts on where they are as a team right now, Aaron? I think if there was ever an appropriate time to use the Jim Mora playoffs sound button, it's right now. I mean, playoffs? Are we really talking about playoffs with these guys? That's the craziest part in the Western Conference where there's there's so many so-called talented teams. I mean, but really the Western Conference is very deep um, that they playing the way that they have. I mean, I think they've played at about 50% of their potential and that's just no joke. So on one hand, I, I, I'm actually, there's no, there's not two hands here. There's only one hand here. This is amazingly good news for Sacramento Kings fans because they can't play much worse. It's, it's not possible to play much worse than they are right now. So I, I agree. They're in a great spot and there are a couple, I mean, Houston's not a threat. New Orleans is not a threat. So those are two teams that a lot of people um, had as, you know, vying for Western Conference playoff um, spots. I like I the think, Jazz. I don't think Utah's a, a threat. I was just going to say, I don't think Utah's a threat. And I... They had a pretty good week, man. And yeah. and I'm not just saying that one week matters. I really... We're going to divert on that. I really believe in those guys. I love Quinn Snyder as a coach. I do, I too. Mean, I do, too. I've been... He touting him for a long time yeah i think he has his team playing really really hard for him but then you have teams like minnesota who's who's next up on the king's schedule that are really good like minnesota to me is as good as houston minnesota to me is way better than new orleans and so when you have that denver is playing all right and they're you know with moutier's ankle you know maybe being of a one to two week variety you're going to see even more wins out of those guys because the vets will play (laughs) and and that will be you know, good for Edition now. by subtraction. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to, he's a great, Moutier, God, you know, I don't think the book is closed on whether or not the Kings, you know, should have taken Moutier over Willie Cauley-Stein. I, I'm a big fan of Willie Cauley-Stein, but Moutier is going to be a pretty special talent in this league. Um, but he's young, he's raw, you know, so he's he's probably costing them games right now. But that's a good team. And, you know, even the Lakers, if if Kobe Bryant really chills out, you know, then then I think you see them be, you know, not as easy of an out. So the West is crazy tough. And the Kings, I I just I'm like sitting here wondering, like, how, how pot committed are these guys to this this system? Because they are the least disciplined team I've seen in a long time. I think Philly runs better offense, pure, pure offense than the Kings do. They don't have the players, 
But in terms of actually a coherent offensive system where the defense doesn't know every single time what's happening, I, I just think that I, I'm, I'm really shocked that, that nobody in the Kings has, has kind of popped their head up and said, hey, guys, we really want to do this because it really looks terrible. Okay, so here's the one thing I'll point out. You mentioned a lot of teams, and I think when you look at Houston, I think Houston is on a downswing. Uh, I, I don't like what their team looks like at all. I think they have holes all over the court. Not not a high-end playoff team like they were last year. I mean, what did they lose in the Western Conference Finals last year? I mean, what happened to this team? I'm not quite sure. I don't know if the league has just figured out that if you don't foul James Harden and he just keeps he he'll just keep shooting jump shots and he can burn you for a little while but you take away the other pieces and they're going to struggle. I think the one thing that I really like about the Kings is that they're right there on the outside looking in. But they have so much room to improve. And that's that's the thing. I I don't think a lot of these other teams that we're talking about like look Quinn Snyder can have his team playing up to their potential, which is what I think they are. They're playing two, two, or maybe even above their potential on certain nights because they're just not that talented. And eventually, that's going to be tough. It's it's kind of like the Phoenix Suns of two years ago, and they won like what forty seven games or something. They were playing so far above like what their real talent level was, but they just played hard for Hornacek every night. Now, if the Kings can start playing hard for George Carl every night. They have a potential to be a a great team, not just a really good team, but you can see that this team has potential and they haven't even put it all together. If they can start finally figuring out all these pieces playing together and moving forward, dude, they're dangerous. They just it's just this one simple tweak that they have to make because they're ranked number one in pace and they're getting all these I don't have the stats on points in the paint, but typically a, a George Carl game, yeah. look, it, look, you get all these layups because you're flinging the ball up the court, and a lot of times it works. And and you do notice that the Kings are improving in the way that they approach offensive transition. Uh-huh. It's a lot smoother. So that part I'm not worried about. I feel like, if anything, they just got to cut down the crazy turnovers because if you have a team that is predisposed towards turning it over, you do not want to set the tone of – we're going to fling the ball around the yard. So that's kind of that. But this half-court offense, the the Houston Rockets were all over the, the pin-down screens that are the staple of the spread offense right now. Mm-hmm. And that, it's really simple because there's no variation off of that because really the spread system is designed, it's a flow system, which George Carl loves, um, you know, being the North Carolina guy that he is. And there's nobody breaking anybody down and the defense is more than happy to let DeMarcus Cousins sit there and think about whether or not he wants to shoot a three um you know all all day long you're bailing the defense out at that point and they can get aggressive on that guard to guard pass where Marco Belladelli shoots up to the three point line and hopefully if it's ex- executed correctly he can turn around and dump it down in the post which never happens and then you saw this against Houston the Kings are so um untested in in posting DeMarcus Cousins up. They don't have enough in-game reps doing this that now they don't even know how to get him the ball down there. He had Trevor Ariza covering him. And I'm sorry, if Trevor Ariza is covering DeMarcus Cousins, there is one play call and one play call only. It's DeMarcus Cousins on the post and either you get a dunk or an open three. I mean, it really is that simple. That was... It, it was a difficult moment. I know what you're talking about. And the Kings actually turned the ball over a ton in that situation. Yes. They, they were trying to force feed Cousins because they thought that that was the answer the entire time. 
and and it likely is the answer the entire time uh just to feed cousins in that situation and burn him but the way that houston attacked is that they didn't allow the guards any space to actually make the entry pass yeah, it's actually the, it's not the problem with Cousins. It's the problem with the players around him is they don't know how to react off of the overplay. If you're going to be that aggressive on Cousins in the post and also with the, the ball handler, which is the right way to approach it defensively, you're going to have three on two on the other side of the pattern. And that's that recognition is not there because they haven't played through Cousins in the post enough to know, OK, here's your classic overplay. We're going to swing it, kick, kick, corner three and we're good, or if Cousins does get the catch, and they, what they're doing is they're pre-rotating because they know that the Kings are so bad at this that there's no way that they can make you know, a, a skip pass into a corner three or have a guy like Omri Caspi cut off the ball and, and have the right timing on it. They're just overplaying all of the easy number one and two options off of a Cousins in the post, who, by the way, can't get the ball in a good spot because post-entry is a lost art in this league, <laughs> but it's it's all kind of cumulative. And it comes from, if, if you're Cousins and you're getting 10 post-touches a game, you know, like Andre Drummond does in Detroit, then you're going to start to get into a rhythm. It's like a running back that gets the ball 25 times a game. They start mm -hmm. to get into a rhythm, and that rhythm's not there because DeMarcus Cousins' position in this offense is effectively a stand at the top of the three-point line and act as a screener and, it, and it's not working i think there's some variations that need to happen i also think that like in the houston game we can't it's it's not a microcosm for the season uh, really if you're looking at that that game specifically and you take rondo out especially in crunch time there's no way houston could have done what they were trying to do with rondo on the court I mean, he's just such a pure passer. He would have found a way to get the ball to Cousins. He would have taken his man off the dribble and, and got it to Cousins. He would he would have figured some way to get it to Cousins in that situation without turning the ball over all those times. Now, Rondo has been as bad as anyone at turning the ball over. I'm not going to like defend his, his turnover issue, but he still, he knows how to feed the big man. And so I, I think that is an issue and the fact that they aren't getting cousins in the post enough is probably a huge issue um they did get him in the post a, a few more times in the previous couple of games I, I found that he was actually you know he destroyed favors uh he he played well you know in the previous games in the post you're starting to see him sort of get his legs back and, and get back into the flow of the game uh, but you know the one thing i'm going to point out is that the Kings defense is actually improving and it is leading to offense, which is something that George Carl talks about all the time. Uh, you know, good defense leading to good offense. You see Omri Caspi like cherry picking like six times a game. Now he's just running the court like a, like a, I don't know, like a, an elk, a deer, uh, something. Um, but the Kings have held three of their last four opponents under a hundred points, 97, 97 and 98. Uh, they gave up 106 in the Jazz game, but they won by eight points. They seem to have found at least some continuity, and I think it coincides with Caspi coming in the game. And I don't think that the trade-off between Caspi and Cauley Stein makes sense as why it would be such a huge improvement. But I think what it, it is is that the Kings have slowed down on their switches. They're not doing as many switches. 
conceptual changes is something that, and philosophical change is something Carl said that they were doing, they were undergoing at the time. Um, and I think the biggest key is that Caspi and Gay are similar size players who can guard similar types of players. And so when you do have the switching, you're not losing. It's not going from Cauley Stein or from Gay to Cauley Stein or from it's it's not going from Ben McLemore to Cauley Stein. It's going from Ben McLemore to Caspi or Caspi. I mean uh, Caspi to Gay. You know what I mean? So the the pieces are more similar in play style, and it's a little easier to transition in the switch. Everybody loves to switch, and I, I I've made this joke like five times. So I apologize if I do it again. But not everybody has Draymond Green. And it's not even the physical talent with Draymond Green. It's the effort and the awareness because you're right. On everything you just said is absolutely correct, point by point. Um, they have been playing better defense. I think that they've also felt a little bit of the pressure of the season kind of coming onto them. Their effort's been better uh-huh. lately. Um, and they have, I think, been switching less. But because that's a core principle of this offense, you still see the off-ball stuff and – it's it's more mental than it is physical a lot of times. It's just guys turning their head, thinking they passed off a player to a, to one of their teammates, and the teammate doesn't know that they've been you know assigned a new player. It's that re- it's really that simple. Um, so I think defensively, uh, Omri Caspi is a very interesting piece um, because he does bring good energy to the game, and and right now the Kings need good energy players to uh, just keep that that level of uh fight you know more defense is i don't know whatever percent effort but it's quite a bit yeah most so. of it is effort it's it's effort and it's also uh sacrificing your body it's saying you know what i'm i'm gonna throw my body out there even if i pick up a foul i'm gonna throw my body out there and, and see what happens and you know I, I think that's a lot of it it's it's the willingness to to concentrate and to focus on that end and we're we've actually we've seen rudy gay do it couple of times the Knicks game uh he shot poorly but his defense on Carmelo Anthony was was very good again those guys have a long-standing relationship and that's something that you saw in that game um you know sort of the stepping up type type situation and to not to, to be positive about a few things here I thought that coming out of that game you did start to to see a sense of this is our slingshot moment you know <clears throat> pardon me if the Rondo situation was the third storm you know, we we're talking about what's the third storm. Oh, yeah. You know, I think these guys recognize that it's gotten well past ridiculous stage. Um, you know, regardless of who has done what, you know, for however long, they're at a point in time where their season is either going to be defined by complete dysfunction or it's going to be defined by this team coming together and, um, you know, playing to their potential, relying on one another all the way from coach to player. Um, and you just saw those elements of that coming out of the locker room. I think that, you know, the team that was in the locker room that night really, really had a good vibe about them after the win. I'm going to say this. I think they're buying in. I I didn't. I, and, and by them buying in, I don't mean the players to Carl, Carl to the players. Uh, I think I mean everything. I think everyone is starting to look at each other. I mean, you heard George Carl say the other night, um we're crazy or whatever (laughs) i I have a crazy team and i'm and i'm a i'm a little crazy uh it was a perfect statement and i think what we've seen is not such a divide like uh, i don't think they're as worried about 
what Carl says to the media. I don't think they're as worried about um, just everything in general. The team, and also I'll point this out. I mean, we had a podcast last last Friday morning, and the Kings have only played one game since then, which is nuts. And you know, they had a four day break, and then they played a game, and then they had a two day break. They have a two day break, you know, yesterday and today, and then they play on Friday. They really have had time to practice to get their bearings to get sort of the ball rolling again. Uh, and and I think that that's a huge thing for a team that, number one, was struggling with injuries, and number two, was struggling with conceptual issues in their in their defensive scheme that had to be worked out. And so I think they're, they're pulling together. They're all on the a same sort of wavelength at this point. And, you know, we're starting to see some rumors uh, that are out there and, and everything else, but... Uh, well, maybe we should talk about that. Um, yeah. That was hilarious. The um, the Sheridan Hoops report, uh, embarrassing, actually. just an embarrassing report. And that's and I think I saw somebody say, "Well, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire." There, I think I saw five or six respected writers throw a spin on that, saying, "This is complete garbage." Yeah, and if, it, where there's it, smoke, there's Chris Sheridan because he's like a chain smoker just sitting there like with a cup of coffee trying to make something up here, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, but... Well, it, I mean, it's just, it's like they, they knew the Kings were weak because of the Rondo situation. is like, oh, this is the perfect time to write this piece. And I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't even know if there was any motive other than page views. I mean, really. like No, I, I, would, I would agree completely. I mean, look, here, I, I broke this down in a piece yesterday. Um and the, the quote I got from inside, uh, imaginative reporting, spectacular quote from inside. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, dis- disregard the report. <laughs> dis- disregard the report because, look, they love Cousins. And while everyone is so concerned about him blowing up and doing all these things, he's actually outside of the one game where he got, you know, he elbowed uh, Al Horford in the head. He's actually been pretty, pretty okay. He's actually been better in the locker room. He's pretty been, okay. He, but pretty okay versus what we've had for five years is is like a vast improvement. I think I keep saying this, the relationship with him and Rondo while Rondo is making mistakes. And this is another moment where, I mean, Cousins is looking at Rondo and going, dude, dude, even I wouldn't do that. Like, Come on, man. I, I know. I was thinking if, if, you know, what Kings fans just go for like your garden variety <laughs> to Marcus Cousins flagrant foul suspension. That's right. Okay. So I'm just going to tie, tie it all together the best I can as quickly as I can. The Kings love DeMarcus Cousins. Rajon Rondo, Rajon Rondo loves DeMarcus Cousins. The Kings want to resign DeMarcus, I mean, uh, Rajon Rondo, which they cannot do until the season ends per NBA rules because he is, you can only have an extension on a contract in the third year of the contract because he signed a one year deal. He is not eligible for an extension, just so people know that's something that should be put out there. The Kings will not break up this group if they think they can re-sign Rondo in the offseason. If you trade DeMarcus, you, number one, you're taking less value. Number two, you will lose Rondo as well. And you might as well trade Rudy Gay at that point too. You're not going into a new stadium with a time bomb blowing up your, your team the summer before or the February before. It's just not going to happen. 
And I know some of the offers that the Kings got for Cousins during the summer. They were incredible offers. There was one offer that was so over the top that I've heard that I'm shocked the Kings turned it down. Basically, take the entire young nucleus of the Orlando Magic and just hand it to the Sacramento Kings. If they're going to turn that down, they're not taking, they're not trading him. And so don't listen to any of the trade rumors. They're all garbage. At this point, DeMarcus Cousins is a king until really, I think, until he kicks down a door and demands and says, I will not play anymore here. Trade me now. I thought the Kron Butler report was pretty interesting. The uh, the Mark the Mark uh, Stein report that he wants more playing time. Mark Stein is very rarely wrong. In very rarely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've you know, and I, I've been told that yeah, yeah. There's oh yeah. Where there's yeah. smoke, there's fire. There. Uh, expect Karan Butler to uh, relocate, and that's not because Karan's a bad guy. It's not because it's because they know that they just can't play him. Um, Caswis played too well, and uh, with all of the the options that you have at the wing, he's just really, really low in priority. And the Kings are playing an eight-man rotation, which is bizarre. That's Carl style, though. He, I think he likes to play eight. Um, and I don't know how, how far we want to go down the Karan Butler rabbit hole, but uh, the, the, the trade rumors surrounding this team will probably coincide directly with any sort of drama associated with this team because that's when teams try to pry and push and kind of further their narrative. But... Yeah, in the case of that one report, there's absolutely zero to it. Yeah, yeah. So Karan Butler likely will be gone relatively soon. December 15th is come and gone, and now Bellinelli, Kufis, uh, Caspi, um, Karan Butler, Seth Curry, James Anderson. Uh, again, 10 new players, whatever it was. Uh, big ups to Seth Curry. I know we're, we're out the door here, but big ups to Seth Curry just for his two-year development. Best. Yeah. I mean, just I mean, where he was at two years ago to where he's at right now, I, I think the Kings should be comfortable playing him at least 10 minutes a game. Yeah, but that's only if you, you need it because this team really does have depth in the backcourt. And, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, you don't want to play five, six cards. You don't want to do it. So, all right, Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? We've covered a lot in this podcast. Um. Yeah, again, uh, if, if they can move – you know, even 30% of their plays to DeMarcus in the post. I think that's a great way to start a transition to where he gets the ball at least half the time down there. I know I'm going to keep harping on that, but I just see that as central to the Kings season. So uh, that, and, uh, avoid the crowds, everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody out there. Uh, it's, it's crazy out there. It is crazy. All right, my final thoughts. Uh, Four-game road trip. I expect the Kings to do their best and probably come away three and one on that trip. I think that that is the sort of the mark that they're looking for, and I think it's achievable, and that would put them much, much closer to 500 and right into, dare I say, the playoff race. I, I was just about to say, you know, they're on pace for 32.8 wins. The road to 33. <laughs> How crazy is that? everything that could go wrong and they're still on pace i love this i love it and their schedule uh, i read is the third weakest in the nba from here on out wow yeah i utah, think number eight in their their previous schedule yeah utah and phoenix schedule. utah and phoenix have easier schedules outside of that no one else has which is interesting because that that's three teams that could be vying for those seven eight spots ride the kangs 
There it is. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. We'll see you next week.